from the book of Hebrews. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Father, we um, ask you to open the eyes of our hearts to... Um, soften our hearts that they would be fertile to hear from you. Uh, make these old, ancient, sacred words um, beautiful and believable to us as we seek your face in these moments. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. What will people um, say about us when we die? I mean, how, how are we going to be, how will we be remembered? Uh, what will like our great-grandchildren say? Heroic? Adventurous? Steadfast? And perhaps more importantly, what will, more pressing, what will God say about us? Now, regardless of what the words we use to describe, what is it that our lives say? I mean, what is the meaning of our lives. Here's why I begin with these questions. If you are living to maximize your comfort or to maximize your happiness in this life, then when suffering comes, and it will, it will destroy you. As we're gonna learn today, life is a race. And, and those people who are trying to live to maximize comfort will have no chance of finishing the race. And finishing, not finishing the race, according to Hebrews, is the worst thing that could happen. Seeing people drop out of the race of faith is, um, is perhaps the, the most discouraging part of my job as a pastor. Over my years of ministry in Puerto Rico, I have met so many people who appeared to receive the Lord Jesus joyfully and then they would later walk away from the church. And sometimes it was because of suffering, sometimes it was a relationship, but there's always something that made them give up on the race. It's extremely painful to see people quit. It's extremely painful to see a person give up on the Lord, to give up on the church when pain comes in. And that is what Hebrews this, this book that we've been studying is addressing. That's what it's all about. So if you'll remember, Hebrews uh, addresses this group of people who professed to be Christians. Things were going well, but then it became a little bit difficult to follow Jesus. Their, their life circumstances had changed. They shifted. And there was, there was these new pressures that arose in their culture and in their lives to disassociate from Christ. Now those same people, now they're, they're wavering, right? They're like a leaf wavering in the wind. 
and, and they were running the race, but now they're starting to get cramps in their side, and they wanted to quit. Now, when, they, when there were no problems, the race seemed kind of fun, but the longer they kept jogging, the more they realized it was not what they expected. They thought it was going to be easy. It was not. And so, and so now they were seriously considered, considering quitting. Now, you can hear, I'm using this metaphor of a race. Why? Well, this morning, a race is the primary metaphor used in Hebrews chapter 12. And we've been working through uh, Hebrews for several months now. But if you'll notice there in verse 1 in the text that we just read, it, what does it say in the second part of verse 1? It says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, that metaphor of a race is incredibly instructive, and we can learn a lot about biblical faith when we think about it like a race. So the, the author chooses this word race in the Greek. It comes from this word called agona. What's that sound like? That's the same etymological root of the word in English, agony. Like life is a agonizing experience. It's an agonizing race. Uh, that's what I think about when I think of running, agony. So if you think about the goal of this life, if you think it's to be happy, if you think it's about avoiding suffering, if you think suffering is pointless, then you'll never finish because life is agonizing and you'll quit. Following Jesus, church, is not easy. But the author of Hebrews this morning is telling us that if you listen to him, you can endure and persevere to the very finish line. And the main ingredient for running this race of, uh, of faith is having faith. And let me just say, as we're getting started, we're on-ramping here. This is serious because this life really is, and some of you know this firsthand, has all kinds of trials and tragedies. And if you don't work at getting the theological structures in place to handle these tragedies, if you don't have biblical faith, then you will opt out of your faith the next time you get the awful, ominous phone call telling you something bad has happened. I'm going to deal with this more during this sermon, but let me just say this. As I look over this sweet congregation... And, and I'm, I'm new, right? I'm still learning who you are. Even still, I know that I am going to bury you or bury someone you love. I have uh, pastored enough and presided over enough funerals in my life to know that what I'm saying is absolutely true. Now, you don't see it because you're not the one getting the phone calls, but I am the one who gets them in the middle of the night. Pastor... My husband's leaving me. Pastor, my child has cancer. Pastor, my child was abused. Hey, pastor, my brother died in a car accident. Pastor, I'm dying and I'm sad and I'm scared. Those are the calls that I get. I know this is happening and I know that it's gonna happen again and I want you to be prepared for that day. And, and I've taken enough of these phone calls to know that I'm gonna get one too. I am under no illusion that God has promised me that I'll see 
50 years old. I'm under no illusion that my own children are promised a life without incredible tragedy. But he is the Lord, DPC. We belong to him. So will we be ready? This life is not easy. Following Christ is not easy. And are you going to give up? Or are you going to persevere? Life is agony. It's a race. It's painful. And so to run this race, we need some tips on how to run this race well. And so that's going to be the, uh, I'm going to do that. That's what we're, this, the, the, the thrust of the sermon. Five t- tips for running this agonizing race well. And here they are for you note takers. We're going to look at five, five principles. First, running is better with others. Two, running without things to weigh you down is also better. You've got to practice endurance, number three. You've got to run on the track, number four. And you have to run with joy for the prize, number five. So we're going to work through this. That's a five-point sermon. Who does that? I'm going to to do this quickly. We won't be here all morning. Let's begin. One, running is better with others. So as you can imagine, I'm going to tell a lot of uh, running anecdotes because running is really filled filled with tons of helpful metaphors. So it was roughly um, 30 pounds ago I ran a half marathon. And uh, I've run a few, actually. Uh, But I ran my very first race when I was in college. And my friend Jason asked me to run with him, and so I agreed. The thing is, I did not train for this race. Now, I was like a Division I athlete. I thought I was in good shape because I was a swimmer. Uh, The problem is, is that swimmers don't spend a lot of time on the land, and so I was doomed from the beginning. The race started. uh, I was feeling pretty good. There were about maybe 500 uh, runners. Several people take off really fast, so I'm kind of in the middle of the pack. Around mile three, I pass a few people, so I'm feeling kind of proud of myself, but something happens at mile nine. My body tells me that my legs are revolting, and they have decided they're not going to work anymore. This is bad news because I still have four miles to go. Now, my friend Jason, he could tell that I'm starting to hurt. The pain is setting in, so I say to him, Jason, you're too good. Go on ahead of me. Run ahead. I don't think I'm going to make it. The The race was fun at first, but at this point, I wanted to quit. And Jason says this as we're running down. He says... No way. We are friends. That's all he said to me. We are friends. Now, he didn't say, you can do it. He didn't say, keep going. You know what he said? We are friends. And that was enough encouragement to me. Caught me off guard to keep running. Now, around mile 12, it was a half marathon. I was sure I was going to die. But something strange happens. And if you've done these races, you know what I'm talking about. You start, hundreds of people start appearing on the sides of the street. And all of them are just like cheering you on. This is a thing. It's kind of hard to explain, but something about the crowds, perfect strangers, cheering on really helps you a lot. Some of them were like drinking Coke and eating donuts and Doritos. They weren't that helpful. 
But some of them were really encouraging. And you know who encouraged me the absolutely the most out of all of them? Were those really, really fast runners who actually had already finished the race. They're the ones who seem to be cheering the loudest. And in fact, some of them even re-ran the last part of the race. Like they, maybe they wanted like a full marathon or something. They're only getting a half. But they go back and they're re-running it with us, encouraging us. It's incredible. See, at mile nine, I thought I was going to die. But it was the other runners who helped me to persevere through the pain. That, you guys, is this, the idea when it says there in verse 1, starts right there. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. So that word witnesses in the Greek, marturon, it carries with it a sort of a judicial connotation. It's like a person who's testifying to the details of a case. And here's the point. We just finished chapter 11, right? And y'all remember chapter 11 is all of those like Twitter biographies of other runners who finished the race and, and they're testifying that it's totally worth it. Like the people in chapter 11 are like these runners who finished early and are saying, hey, I finished and it is totally worth it. It was worth the pain. Keep going. You're not going to regret what you are about to see. These are the guys who, when we want to give up, they say, I am your friend. This cloud of witnesses, is, they're our friends. They've endured and they can testify that it's worth it and they're encouraging us. Hey, Denver Prez, we're all running. We're all limping a little bit, but we're all running and we're at times tempted to quit but we're not alone because we're running with friends. We have friends in past generations who finished before us and we have friends who are running with us right now. And, and, and listen to me real quick, because that is why this church is so important. And, and I know like so many of you guys are like suspicious about institutions. And I know that we're a bunch of messed up runners but we need each other. This has been the difficulty of the pandemic because before the pandemic, we were like, of course, community is the solution. And now we're, people are saying, no, community is what puts us at risk. And, and, and it's hard now to kind of come back. But it, we need each other. It's required. No one, no one runs this race of faith outside of a community. That's how come in chapter 10, in Hebrews 10, the, the author is saying, do not neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day arriving. Don't, don't stop meeting together. Work hard at it. You need to run even with other people with side cramps. It is best and necessary to run with friends. Tip two, run without things that weigh you down. So before running in my first race, I didn't really know much about the running community. I quickly learned, and if you don't know this, but runners are a real strange lot of people. Like they're weirdos, total weirdos. They have their own lingo, they have their own superstitions, they have their own equipment. And all the runners know that you don't buy your gear at Marshalls, right? You have to go to like these super specialized runner stores where they look at your feet and stuff, that's weird. 
Well, I didn't know any of this, and so I, I bought my shoes and my clothes at Walmart. That's what, that's what I do, all right? So on the day of the race, I show up with these cheap running shoes and khaki shorts. Now, before you snicker at me, underneath, I was wearing basketball shorts. So it's not much better, but there we are. No one knew. So everyone's kind of looking at me, and my friend pulled me aside, and he goes, are you going to run in those shorts? And I was like, no, of course not. And I showed him my basketball shorts. <laughs> and uh, he sat me down, and he gave me another tip. He said, Ronnie, in the future, let me help you dress for a long race. Because the thing is, the race is actually going to feel longer than you think. And normally, a person doesn't think about their clothes and what they're wearing. But I promise you, on mile 10, you are going to be very aware of your clothes. Who would have guessed? That being the case, you need a certain kind of shorts and a certain shirt, something that displaces the sweat and, and all these kinds of things that will help you to keep running without additional pain. Because there's already gonna be pain, don't make it worse, right? And they want these especially, you want light clothes, right? Because the thing is, and runners will tell you, your clothes can become a hindrance once the race starts. That's the lesson, that's the lesson. The author in Hebrews says to these runners, verse 1b, look, he says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. So a person running a long race would be a fool to try to do that race with weights on their feet, right? And here's the point. Life is a race, and we have to pay special attention to those things that make the race more difficult than it has to be. You'll notice that in the verse, there are two things, right, that, that affect runners. You have, on one hand, weights, and on the other, sins. All right, so sins are like sins, you know, like the bad stuff, I guess, right? But weights, the reason why he, he puts them in juxtaposition is because those are not sins. They're, they're just morally neutral things. But why do, I, why do I mention this? It's because both bad things and good things can be unhelpful to you in this life. Because notice the author, he doesn't just list a whole host of like uh, common vices like lying and stealing and anger and laziness or whatever. He kind of keeps the, the categories broad to include even good things that could slow you down. Any dead weight that makes following Jesus more difficult than it, anything that makes it more difficult has to be left aside. Possessions, hobbies. Habits of life, computers, internet. Think about the internet. The internet's morally neutral. It's a good thing. It's a helpful tool. But if you're addicted to like social media, you pathologically scroll, right? You, you like to get in a good solid Facebook debate. Just makes you feel good about yourself. Pornography, any of those things, man. You gotta let it go. You gotta let it go. Y'all remember like Frodo from Lord of the Rings, right? Like the ring was like this heavy weight. It made the journey really difficult. But when he threw the ring into Mount Mordor, right? It freed him up. After the ring was destroyed, Frodo was free to continue his adventure, right? What is the thing in your life that sucks up your time and your resources and distracts you from wholeheartedly following Jesus. What is that? 
You got to let it go. Let it go. Don't waste your life. You know, I'm from Texas, and uh, football, right, is a big deal in Texas. Uh, my state worships football. They worship football more than they worship Jesus. And sadly, I know more statistics than I know Bible verses. I'm not proud of it. It's a problem. Shows where I have found meaning, regardless of whether or not I'm going to church. And now my son does it. <laughs> now my own son does that. And uh, it changes you when you see your own son doing these things, right? Um, it gives you pause. And so I want to shepherd his heart to organize his life around Jesus in the same way I want for myself. Because here's what I know for a fact, Denver Press. Listen, when life gets hard, when life gets hard for my son, football statistics will bring him no comfort on that day. There will be no comfort on that day. No endurance. If it's not helping you to run with endurance, let it go. Let it go. All right, let's move to our next tip. Three, practice endurance. So um, you have, in order to finish a half marathon in my case, I've never done a full marathon. I think I want to, but I haven't. But even still, you have to work at endurance. Endurance is not something you can just kind of pick up at the grocery store on your way to the race. You know, you kind of have to work at it for a while. This is something I learned the hard way. So my friend Jason and I, we registered for this race in Pueblo, Colorado, uh, four months before the actual race. And every week, Jason would call me up and say, come on, Ronnie, let's go train for the race. And I would say, I don't have time. Besides, I'm in good shape. I'll be fine. Of course, I was not fine. And when I finished the race, I, uh, this, I'm not even exaggerating. I could not walk for a week. I could not walk. Uh, the muscular pain was so bad, I actually thought I injured something. Uh, I didn't. I was just not properly trained for the endurance necessary for a race. I was arrogant. See, because I thought that signing up for the race was everything I needed for the race, right? I was a fool, all right? So the author of Hebrews, he's saying, run the race with endurance, verse one, and then in verse three, it says, why? So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Here's the point. Christianity, it's not a sprint, and the gospel, when you receive it, the gospel is not registration for the race. The gospel is not just the entryway into the Christian life. If that's what you think it is, you're wrong. Our faith in the gospel are not just tickets into heaven. The gospel is the Christian life itself. And if that's true, non-believers need the gospel, but Christians need the gospel. Christians must, by faith, embrace and deepen the gospel in our hearts moment by moment, day by day, because if you don't, you won't finish the race. The gospel gives us the resources to train for the race, to endure. And so when trials and tribulations come, those things, because of your faith in the gospel, actually train you and they strengthen you with endurance instead of 
making you want to quit. You're, you're, you'll reinterpret those things. Christians are known by how they run the race, how they're deepening the gospel into their hearts. Now, this is in stark contrast to the notion that we're known by this single affirmation, this intellectual affirmation that we made when we were 14 years old at Christian camp, right? Right, right, if that's what you're leaning on, like, you're like, I got the registration papers. Like, you're missing it. Endurance, this deepening of the gospel is so important to the race. It's as important as the registration, to put it that way. And, and let me just say that this is something that you have to do regularly and you have to be intentional. And just let me plug it. This fall, we're going to be rolling out church-wide discipleship. And this is where we want every person in our church to be intentional about growing in their faith. Because without that, you won't have the legs to finish the race. All right, tip four. When you run, run on the track. All right, back to my race in Pueblo, Colorado. So the race, the track was beautiful, it was scenic. You could see the Rocky Mountains the entire time and the designers of the race actually made the track pass through the quaint city of Pueblo, Colorado. It's real cute there in downtown. Well, around mile six, you know, I still had a little bit of endurance. I was starting to feel the pain a little bit. Now at this point, uh, the, the pack had spread out so I couldn't see the runners in front of me anymore. And uh, we were trying to follow the track but the signs became unclear and we kept going straight when we should have turned. So we ran for about, I don't know, like uh, let's say 100 yards in the wrong direction until someone redirected us. So 100 yards in one direction means what? 100 yards in the other direction. Y'all, this really messed me up. <laughs> I was not prepared to run, not even one extra step, much less 200 yards at the end of my race. And I, I mean, I wanted to quit. It was probably as painful emotionally as it was physically. Like, oh, I can't do 200 yards. It was awful. The author of Hebrews, he knows that running off the race, off the track, could ruin a person. And so what does he do? He exhorts us by telling us to run the race. Which one? The one that is set before us. Verse 1, B. That is to say, live the life that God has placed before you. Don't run away or flee from its difficulties. Listen, don't distance yourself from the details of your life. It's not your job to escape the path that God ordains. It's not your job to try to create shortcuts because it will ruin you. I have a lot to say about this point. I'm going to keep my thoughts really short on this. But here's the thing is we all, everyone in this room has things that God has providentially put in our lives. Some people have children who are born with special needs. Some people physiologically struggle with their body type. Sometimes God puts longings in our heart that will never be satisfied, not, not on this side of heaven. Some people can't have children who really want to. Some people de deeply desire to be married and they uh, never find a godly suitor. 
Some people struggle with same-sex attraction and they have to live courageously their entire lives with that unmet desire. But listen, we all have our things, but the runner who runs the race that God has set before them, that very runner will be compensated for their courageous endurance and willingness to deny themselves for the sake of bringing glory to their Savior. We must run the race that God puts before us or we'll quit. And you can't trick or cheat the designer of the race. There are no shortcuts. So we keep running our race. Don't, don't be jealous of, di of different people's tracks. Run the race that is set before you. The most incredible people that we know right, are those who give up their own rights, they give up their longings to pursue Jesus, and they endure to the end of a very difficult, very tragic circumstances, and they endured because they knew, they knew that this life was just like dew in the morning sun, and it was of no worth in comparison to the immeasurable riches that we will have with Jesus. That's how come Paul, and, and in Philippians chapter 3, that's why with a straight face, he's going to say, whatever gain I had, whatever it was that I had, I count it as loss for the sake of my Savior, for the sake of Christ. Run the race that's set before you. And here's the last one, tip five, and this will be my, um, my conclusion. Run with joy for the prize. So my friend Jason, when he first invited me to run a race, I'd never paid for a race and run. I've never done that. So when he first approached me and said, hey, do this thing with me, I said, now Jason, why would I willingly subject myself to pain and pay someone else to do it? Like, it sounds awful. And uh, his response, and this is so profound, listen to this. This is what he said. He says, it's because they give you a free shirt. <laughs> <laughs> what? A free shirt? Like one of those with like all the corporate sponsors in the back? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Like you're a walking commercial, like NASCAR or something, you know? What, what, what Jason later explained to me is that those shirts, those free shirts, are secretly coveted in the running community. So, for instance, if you have a free shirt from the Boston Marathon, then it's kind of like you're in a special club. And runners wear these free shirts like this badge of honor, apparently. Some are really proud of them. Some of these runners collect these free shirts. There's a, there's a sense of joy connected to these silly shirts. And I can remember in the race, running alongside Jason, he could, he could see them, like I'm having the side split, it's painful, and he said something really absurd to me. He says, remember the prize, remember the shirt. <laughs> I laughed, but I kept running. And here's the point. The race, you guys, is only worth it if there is joy yet to be received at the end of the race. And that is what motivated Jesus. Look at verse 2. It says, we should look to Jesus, the founder, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And here's the point. God the Father ordained God the Son on a path that a race that he would endure to the very end. And he did. Why did Jesus keep going? Why? It's for joy. For the joy that was set before him. And what is this joy? Because Jesus had everything in heaven. He had glory. He had riches. He had love. He had perfect intimacy. He had everything. And why did he leave the right hand of the Father and enter in and sign up for a race that would end on a cross? Why? The best I can tell, it's because there was only one thing that the Lord did not have. And it was you and your children and me. You and I were the joy that motivated Jesus to enter in and finish this race. And this is not a meager joy. Like, this is like nutty love and joy. This is a kind of joy that accepts any kind of cost. I mean, it, remember, Jesus had nails pounded into his hands, and he was like joyful on the cross, looking at you. Jesus, God the Son, was treated as less than human. He was tortured, but he stayed focused. Something kept him focused, and it was the joy of purchasing you with his own blood to have you. There was pain, but that pain was matched with this accompaniment of joy. The joy of purchasing you was what motivated him. And so it's the same for us. We have to keep then our eyes fixed on him. We've, we focus our eyes on him, and we let that joy carry us. And when our lungs hurt, and our legs are wobbly, and our, our side is, a, is just screaming at us, Jesus, he comes to us, not like, not like a coach who's just yelling at you, just saying, keep going. No, he comes to us, and he says, hey, hey, let's run together. I've done this. I'll run with you. He doesn't just offer us simple encouragement. He infuses us with his own strength. Why? Look, verse 2. He is the author. He is the perfecter of our faith. Our faith is like his idea. And so we keep on running. And we're not even disqualified when we have all the wrong clothes on. And we're not even disqualified when we screw up. I'll end where I began. What is the meaning of our lives? It's to keep running. Keep saying yes to the Lord. How about we do this together? How about we run together? Let's pray. Father, there is so much that is indeed a hindrance to us. And we just confess that at times we are seduced to other tracks. Oh, Lord, may our eyes be fixed on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. We want to know you more. We want to love you. We want to serve you. 
and we're limping and we're wobbly legs and we're thirsty, oh Lord, but you, you have a wellspring. Come, Lord, come meet us in this place. We want to grow. Would you, by your spirit, grow us? Keep us together. We pray in the sweet name of the chief runner, our Savior Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with me as we sing one last song?